deficit hyperactivity disorder. The term ADHD flies around in our society a lot today, and it can raise a lot of questions about what does this mean and what are its implications. And so I would like to try to bring a little bit of clarity or understanding to what ADHD is. ADHD is not this feeling of restlessness that you get after you've sat for too long, or the reason why you feel like you need to fidget with your pencil, or why you forget what you were intending to get when you went to the grocery store. ADHD is a persistent problem, a persistent pattern of inattention and hyperactivity or impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development. That word persistent is really important. It's ongoing, it's, it's continual, and it's, and it's actually interfering with how I'm able to, um, to go about my day and complete the, the tasks that are asked of me or the responsibilities that I have. Also, it's important that um, to understand that ADHD, that the symptoms have to be inconsistent with typical development. So, of course, um, a five-year-old is going to have a shorter attention span than someone in um, middle school or high school or an adult. We have to compare the, the symptoms with what is typical. We had talked previously about the categories of disabilities, and ADHD falls under the category of other health impairment. ADHD is a health impairment. It's not a learning disability. Um, of course, ADHD can significantly impact learning, but it is first a health difference, or um, yeah, brain, brain scans show that there's actually physical differences in an individual with ADHD and without. And it, I would understand it to be like a chemical imbalance in the brain. There's actually um, different levels of, of chemicals. There's actually a physical difference in um, an individual that has ADHD. There are three main types of ADHD. First is the inattentive type. And this is when um, this individual is very is distractible and it, it can be with external things or internal. So um, the individual might be distracted by watching his peers around him or seeing something outside the window or too, many, um, too much on the walls. This person could also be distracted by internal things like they're hungry or they're tired or they're, um, they're thinking about something outside of, outside of the classroom or outside of what they're doing at the moment. When someone um, struggles with the inattentive type of uh, ADHD, it also impairs the, their working memory. So they struggle to remember what tasks they're supposed to be completing. And like keeping a list of things in their mind that they need to be doing is really hard to keep track of that and to, and to remember bits of information or tasks that they need to do. The second type of ADHD is the hyperactivity slash impulsivity type. This is actually the least common that someone would just have this, um, this category of ADHD. And this is what we think of often with like restlessness, hyperactivity, they keep moving around, they, um, they cannot stop talking, there's like it's constantly flowing, um, rapid decision making being very impulsive. That would be characteristics of this type of ADHD. And most commonly, there's the combined type. And that's when an individual struggles with the inattentive part and also the hyperactive um, component of ADHD. 
When we talk about ADHD, there are all these different symptoms and it can be challenging to know, you know, is this child, is this symptom, is this being inattentive, is it um, just part of typical childhood development or is it actually something more substantial that we need to be looking at what's a way forward or how do we help this child and maybe looking toward more of a diagnosis. And linked to this video, we're going to have a, um, a checklist that could give you an idea of whether or not these symptoms are, are great enough or persistent enough to merit a diagnosis. This tool is just to give you an idea, maybe a frame of reference, um, considering the symptoms of both categories. And it's important to realize that six or more symptoms in each category have to be present for a diagnosis to be made. And again, this would require going to talk to a family doctor. It's not something that you can just diagnose on your own. So when an individual has ADHD, what's going on? Why are they experiencing these challenging behaviors? What's actually happening? And this is how I understand it. So a child in their brain, they're asked to do something, maybe complete a task, and the synapses in their brain fire, but they don't have enough energy to reach the destination or for the task to actually be carried through. And when they're, you know, so a child is sent out to get his book out of his locker. And on the way, like he is, he's fully intending to go do that. That's his plan. He understands that's what he's asked to do. And on the way, he sees a pencil on the floor and he kicks the pencil. And then he remembers that we're having soccer today. And he runs back into the classroom and he says, I want to have this certain position in soccer today. And all of a sudden, like he never completed the task. He, he got sidetracked his, um, those, yeah, he had good intentions, but he wasn't able to complete them or carry them out. And that, that it tends to be what happens when, it, when a child has ADHD. It can even happen, you know, with completing their math paper or their assignments. They, they know they're supposed to, they know what they have to get done, but they can easily get off track. ADHD is also known as um, something called a self-regulatory disorder, which is basically where you know, a child has difficulty regulating the, their environment, the things around them, um, difficulty regulating their attention, <clears throat> their activity, their impulses, organization, um, re even regulating their emotions. And so all of those pieces, we somehow need to help them to, to manage their, their environment, manage themselves in a way that, um, can, that they can be successful and that this, um, that this ADHD isn't disrupting who they are and how they're able to, to function in life. So where does ADHD come from? Approximately 75% of ADHD is hereditary. So when a parent is struggling with ADHD, it's very likely that their child will as well. Also, 25% of ADHD can be environmental as well. And especially when there's um, stressful prenatal or postnatal experiences that a child has or traumatic experiences, those can play into um, when a child has ADHD and is struggling with these types of things. So when a child is struggling with ADHD, what should we do about it? How can we help them? First, I think we need to take a look in our classrooms and, and find ways to train them to manage this difficulty, um, ways in our classrooms to accommodate and help these, these children. So 
the first thing I believe that children need is this structured environment and the more organized and predictable things can be in the classroom um, the better that they will be able to kind of fit into that into that those expectations um, I often have put a checklist on students' desks that give a list of the tasks they need to complete like as part of the morning routine and then also later in the day. This checklist says about the same thing every day, you know, things like get two sharpened pencils, use the restroom, tear out this math paper, write down your homework. But when a child has ADHD, or I've worked with children with ADHD that consistently look at that checklist every day. You know, the other students probably have it memorized. They can know what's on there without looking, but I've seen students regularly check in and cross each thing off as they complete them so that they, to help them keep on track. It's like a, a reminder. And, and I know parents that use this as well, like for morning routines, bedtime routines, to help to, as a child to kind of train themselves to, to complete a list of tasks. Also, I think as teachers, it's really helpful and healthy if we can incorporate, um, if we can incorporate opportunities for purposeful movement in the classroom. You know, so this child might struggle to, to sit in his chair and, and needs to get up and get moving. And so if we can incorporate that in, our, in the rhythms of our instruction, that can be really helpful. An example might be moving and sitting on the carpet for a certain um, class or often like every day when we have review like we have review before math and we do our math facts we have review before science class with the vocabulary that we're learning we always stand for those reviews it's always like I think almost every class in the day we're standing for a piece of it that gets gives them opportunity to get out of their seat move around um, Every afternoon between spelling and penmanship class, we get up and do two minutes of exercises. And, you know, this is fun for everyone. It's good for everyone, but it's especially a way to, to help the students that, that need that opportunity for movement. Also, I think that we would do well to experiment with the environment a little bit. So um, when a child is struggling with movement and moving around, it, one child would do better up front, very close to the teacher, um, so that the teacher can be there and check in with them. But another child with ADHD might be better off in the back row where they're not as much of a distraction to the people behind them. And so experiment with that. Um, also maybe moving them away from the window or moving them to a place where, where they are called in to, to focus, to attention um, more, more effectively. Also children, um, they, we can teach them about self-regulation and about building awareness of themselves and an awareness of, well, how do, how do I fit in this space and how should I be moving around and what should or should not I be doing? And sometimes when a child has ADHD, they can act like they're run by a motor, like they're just going and there's no stopping. And one thing that I found um, helpful is to look at something like this and talk about with them, how is your engine running? And so we might have in the blue zone is too slow when we're tired and we're, we're not engaged um, just right and then too fast. And even talking with students about, you know, at recess, the level of, of speed that your engine is going, it's okay that it's higher than, but when we're in the classroom, when it's time for math class, our engine should be um, at a certain level. And so 
there's there's ways to teach children um, how to to be a to to build awareness of of who they are and and how they should be um, how they should be acting. I have some other um, objects here that could be helpful for a child. This is called a kick fix, and we have some students that put this around the the legs of their chair as just something that they can they can be um, using their feet on it to help with some of the restlessness. Also, this is um, what I would call a wobble cushion, or we've called it a super sitter before, but it's amazing when a child needs to sit on this, or some, sometimes you have to ask them if they want to, you know, and if some children don't like this at all, but um, if they enjoy this kind of thing, if they sit on this, it takes more energy to like, to sit, and it actually kind of requires you to sit with good posture, to, um, to do this, and it's just, it could be a way to help give them an, op an opportunity to release that energy that they have. Also, sometimes when children um, struggle with ADHD, they have a difficulty understanding time and the passing of time and kind of knowing um, where they are and like how much time they have to complete something. And this is a handy little timer. It's called a time timer, and I actually, what, what happens is with this, um, when you have, let's say you have 15 minutes and you need to complete your assignment by then, this goes down on its own. And if we would sit here for 15 minutes, you would watch it, it would gradually go down. And then at the zero, it would, it would ding. And so students, my students love this um, because it helps them to kind of, uh, to pace themselves a little bit. And the child that's struggling, um, with staying on track, this could be a great motivator to say, I'm gonna be finished by the time this gets down to zero. And so those are some tips, some a few pointers, things to try out. Of course, it will really depend on the child and whatever accommodation you use, it needs to be you know, helping the problem, not making it worse. And so you have to feel that out and um, think about what, what would be the most helpful um, for this child and kind of experiment and try some things out. So after you try all of these accommodations, you're trying to work with and train the child to, to manage um, their, their difficulty, sometimes that training and accommodation isn't enough. And one of the options that we can consider is medication. And what, what is this? Let's try to get an understanding a little bit of, of how um, ADHD medication works. So, Typically, um, a child would take a stimulant. And if you remember back to when we talked about um, the synapses firing and not reaching their destination, what um, a stimulant or like Ritalin would do would give the synapses in the brain a boost so that they are able to reach the destination so that, um, and then what will happen is the child, it will enable the child to reach, to complete the tasks that he's asked to do. You could think of it maybe as a super booster to get through the fritzing, the, the going off and connecting with other, um, with other synapses. A stimulant can be given daily and the, and then it will wear off. Like a stimulant does not have long-term impact. It will just, you know, give them that, that extra, that extra boost that help those chemicals be balanced in their brain. And then, you know, by the evening, it will be worn off. And so I have seen adults, or I've talked to adults who have taken this, taken a stimulant, 
um, when they know that they have to be able to get their tasks completed today, get a lot completed, but then on a day where it doesn't matter so much, well then, it's okay, and, and they don't take it. So it's a tool. It's a tool when ADHD becomes so overwhelming that we don't know what to do next. And it can help someone um, get back on track so that maybe they can start and start um, working on those organization things of themselves. And so then, you know, hopefully, eventually, they wouldn't need to take it anymore. But it's, it is a resource. It's something that could be really helpful to get an individual on track. Um, there's the question of addiction, and I've asked this question to a professional, and she said that um, addiction will only happen if someone's taking a stimulant when they're not, don't really have ADHD. And so if they're taking this stimulant and they have ADHD, it's actually meeting like a physiological problem. So it's actually, you know, meet, make, meeting this chemical imbalance. And it's actually will help them to just function more normally and be able to be more successful. It can be difficult to find the proper dosage, and that will take a lot of work, you know, between the family doctor and parents and teachers and kind of giving, um, communicating and giving feedback and how is it going. And a good family doctor will start the child on the smallest dosage possible and then gradually build as needed to, to figure out what's the proper dosage for this child. And of course, as a child grows, they're going to need, the dosage is going to need to increase simply because they're becoming an adult, they're, their body, they're getting, they're growing. And um, so when a child's dosage needs to increase, that doesn't mean they're getting addicted to it. It means that they're, yeah, they're just, um, they're just growing. There is also the concern of side effects and um, you know, there, that's possible. Some children experience side effects, some do not. And so again, it's just something you're going to have to try out and, and see what's going, to, what's going to work for us. And so medication is something that I think we should consider as a valid option, something to consider and to try when we, you know, we've tried all the other things. We've tried the accommodations. We've tried training and working with them, and those are not helping us, then I think, um, it's worth looking into. As teachers, it can be really easy for us, like we just, you know, parents, we just want you to, to try this because we, we, we see, especially in our classrooms when the environment's more structured, some of these things show up even more than they do in the home setting, just because, you know, you're expected to sit and to complete your work and, and do all of these um, tasks. And so I do think though that it's really important for us as teachers to, uh, to talk um, graciously with parents, to give them, um, to give them grace and realize like there's a lot that they have to you know think through here and um, they have to wrestle with the complexities of this and their own emotions and all of this. Like do you know do we want to give our child medication like this? And so I think that's really important that as teachers. Um, we offer time, we offer grace. Yes, I do think we, we need to, um, to be honest and to be specific about the struggles that we're finding in the classroom. Um, I think also we do well to communicate um, that we're recommending this out of care for the child. Like we really care for them and we, we want them to be successful. We see their frustration. And if we communicate that care to, I think that, um, 
parents may be able to hear us better. But you know, it also takes time to build up credibility. It takes time to, um, to yeah, you're gonna need to have relationship and really work closely. And, um, and you know, at the end of the day, it is the parent's decision what they're going to do and for, for the sake of their child. And so, you know, as teachers, we can advocate, we can be a spokesperson, um, but we do need to respect parents as well and, and the, the decisions that they make for their children. So I wish I could ask you what questions you have about this, what more could be explained, but um, in the description box, there's going to be a list of resources with some books. Um, and Russell Barkley is a credible author, someone that I would, would trust as someone to, to look at, to read his, um, what he's written about, you know, working with ADHD in school and in home. And he has some books that could be worth looking at. So. I hope that you feel a little better informed about what ADHD is and how you could help someone in your life that is struggling with this disability. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.